great joy. His wife, um, uh, Adeline, will be able to join us tomorrow with their... No, their baby is Adeline. And their, his wife is Rachel. I'm still getting this. I haven't met them yet. But uh, they will be able to join us tomorrow afternoon for the rest of the time. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you so much for coming. It's a great joy to have you here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for the warm welcome already. It's been really nice getting to know a few of you around and about. Um, One little disclaimer. I've got a strong accent. Um, When I get excited, I speak too quickly. Um, it's just a, it's, it's a thing. So if that's happening and you just can't understand what I'm saying, please feel free to just wave, gesticulate, whatever it might be. I won't be offended. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope we can uh, overcome that and have some rich times together. Uh, it doesn't seem to have been a problem in conversation so far. So we're going to be looking at Philippians uh, this weekend. Before we do, um, by way of introduction, I should say yeah, a little bit uh, more. As Jack said, I was raised in England, um, raised kind of in and around the church, uh, in and out. Long story there. Um, long story primarily of God's grace. Uh, many of you will know that our stories aren't always straightforward, but the Lord would not let me go. And um, yeah, so as Jack mentioned, I tumultuous teens led, led me to end up in, in the Brazilian desert, bizarrely, of all places, the year after high school, and um, reading through the book of John after having recently been convinced that I didn't have whatever my real Christian friends had. In that book, meeting Jesus, and just seeing him patiently speak with individuals. Seeing this Jesus I, I knew about, I'd always known him, about him, and couldn't ever deny that he was God. I'd grown up hearing about him, as clear as day. And yet, meeting him and seeing him so personal, so loving, so patient and so, um, so engaged with the people he spoke to in John's Gospel. Um, blew me away. Uh, to meet a God who is living and active and cares. Um, took me on a long journey, went back to college, lots of evangelism and excitement uh, at that stage of my life. Uh, worked in schools ministry for a couple of years. I had a year abroad in France at one stage. Uh, that's a whole story for another day. And... Um, yeah, met my wife. We went to Myanmar together shortly after getting married. And then the Lord's called us here. My wife is American. That is one of the big reasons we're here. Texan, but forgive her. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so, so here we are. I work at McLean Presbyterian Church, large PCA church uh, up near the CIA. And that's fun. I drive past that every day. Um, never thought I'd do that growing up watching movies with Langley, Virginia. And now I run there. Um, very strange. And I'm in seminary. So uh, it should warn you before we get started, I am not fully qualified. <laughs> so if it's all terrible, blame Jack. He knew this. Um, we're going to be looking at Philippians over the course of the weekend. And uh, tonight we're going to look briefly at the, the beginnings of the Philippian church. And then we're going to meet them in the middle. We're going to see them at the beginning of the book of Philippians, but in the middle of their life as a church. Why Philippians? Um, well, firstly, it's, it's a book of rejoicing. And a retreat is a time to come away together and rejoice as a church family, especially when it's been three years. It's not a time to come and be beaten up, uh, worry about things. It's a time to come and rejoice in who Christ is and what he's done for us, who he's made us. And isn't it extraordinary that I, this foreigner from around the world, can say us and mean it, even though I've met you tonight? It's a beautiful truth. So that's one reason. Another reason is we want to reflect on God's goodness to this church in Philippi and to this church in Gainesville, 
I'm not in Gainesville right now, but you know what I mean. To reflect on God's goodness between the beginning, which some of us remember, and the end, which we will all experience in Christ. And we find ourselves in the middle. We find ourselves in the middle and we get to look at a church who is in the middle and living through that in joy. Let me give you a refresher on Philippians before we, we jump in. Uh, Philippians, Paul is writing towards the end of his life. Uh, it's not his final letter, that's probably Second Timothy. Uh, but he's pretty mature. He's got a big vision of life in Christ and uh, an idea of how short life is and where it's going. Death and resurrection are really important in his thinking as he writes this to, to this church that's growing and going through the middle of life and all that stuff. And um, I love the fact that this is a church that he loves deeply, but that he almost certainly didn't expect to plant. When we look in Acts 16 at the account of the planting of this place, he was aiming to go elsewhere. He wanted to go to Asia. And a man appeared to him in a vision, as you do, and sent him to Europe. And the first city he came to was Philippi. And we'll talk more about that beginning. But it's a church that he did not expect to plant, and he has seen God's grace multiply through them. In really unlikely circumstances. It's a church, uh, it's a letter in which he mentions the gospel more than any other letter of Paul. Fun fact. And it's an incredibly quotable book. I think this is because he's towards the end of his ministry and he's really used to telling his message concisely. And so as you work through the book, you get all these little sound bites that we love, and rightly so. Um, you get things uh, like he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus you get the Christ hymn where he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped that took on the nature of a servant and went to death even death on a cross these things shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation it's so quotable um, it carries on I consider all things rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ forgetting what is behind looking to what is ahead I press on towards the goal for which Christ has called me heavenward this is all in this short book. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Our citizenship's in heaven. Whatever is honourable, whatever is pure, lovely, just, excellent. Pursue these things. And finally, everyone's favourite verse to misquote. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're not even going to get there this weekend. There's so much in this rich book. The danger with that is that we, start, we, we can kind of hear those things. So we think we know the book and miss the whole scope of the book. Uh, because it's so rich, we usually, I have almost always approached this book as a, a long-term Bible study. The last time I did it, it was three months of, of Bible studies, week after week after week, and I still felt we didn't have enough time. We're going to try and do it in three days. So what we're going to be doing is not diving into every detail of Philippians. I'd, love, I'd encourage you, go away. Grab a good book. I've got some upstairs. I'll share some with you uh, tomorrow. Go through this book. Just meditate on it. But what we're doing this weekend is looking at kind of the symphonic whole of Philippians. Seeing what it's saying all together as a message. How that ties together. Things we might have missed in the details. Um, I've got one sentence I'm going to share with you, which I, I think is, is an okay summary of Philippians. And I've got actions, because I used to be a teacher. Um, <laughs> so here it is. Rejoice to the end. This is Philippians. Rejoice to the end in the selfless, life-shaping love of Jesus. I'm actually going to ask you to do that with me, for real. I'm going to ask you to do that. I know it's a Friday night. This is terrible. Do it with me. Rejoice to the end in the selfless, life-shaping love of Jesus. 
Uh, you don't have to do that. It might help you remember it. But I'm going to say that every single time we get into the Bible together. Rejoice to the end in the selfless, life-shaping love of Jesus. We're going to deep dive into that message this week. So let's dive into the Bible. Before I do, let me pray. Lord, by your grace, we're here. By your grace, we have your word. By your grace, your spirit uh, illuminates that word to us. We know we are partakers of that grace. Feed us, we pray this weekend. Show us ourselves. Show us your kindness and your joy that you set upon us. Mould us, we pray, into this, into enjoying this selfless, life-shaping love as we study this church and this book together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just to throw you off the scent, we're not going to start in Philippians. If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 16. We're not going to read the whole here. I just think it's helpful to have it in front of you so you can see the things I'm referring to as we go through. Three conversions that shaped the culture of this church. Two certain conversions, one possible. Three people. Three people to meet. So, as we come into Acts chapter 16, we've got Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, coming into it into Europe and it looks like halfway through we get Luke join them so we've got this bag of, ragtag bag of missionaries coming into Europe, going along and they come to Philippi verse 11 so setting sail from Troas we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony so here we have Philippi Roman colony Almost like a mini Rome out in the, the backwaters of Greece. A colony where they enjoy the privileges of Rome. They have um, a, a certain sense of self-identity as an important, different kind of place. Uh, it's full of Roman citizens. And you notice what it's not full of as we go through uh, to the next uh, verses. Verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gates of the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, if you are familiar with Paul's missionary journeys in Acts, he almost always goes straight to the synagogue, preaches to the Jews before the Gentiles. And yet here he goes to the river outside the gate. And what that suggests to us is that there are fewer than 10 adult male Jewish believers in the city of Philippi. Major city, fewer than 10. This is not a place where you'd expect to go and preach and have a great reception. There's no synagogue. Uh, fun note, by the way, why are they down by the river? Um, there's a lovely little, little note here that during the exile, you know that song, that psalm, whichever one you choose, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, sat down to pray, there we wept as we remembered Zion. The practice of the Jews in diaspora had become to go to the river to pray when there was no synagogue, where they felt far from God. And they sought him and they longed for his restoration. And so that's where Paul goes. Lydia's there, not by accident. She's there because she is seeking God. She wants to know him. So here's our first, our first person we encounter. This respectable, wealthy merchant woman, Lydia. Dealer in purple cloth. Um, she's doing well. She's doing very well. 
You can tell that by the fact that when she does get converted, she invites everyone back to her house and says, yeah, you can meet here. Big house, big business, she's doing well. And she's free both inside and out. She's free as a merchant to do as she wishes. She doesn't need a man to take her to the river. She goes. She's free inside to seek God. There's no barrier. That's going to be important because um, we'll see in a moment that's not true of everyone in the church at Philippi. Lydia is a great person to start with. And if the church was made up of ten Lydias, you'd expect a pretty peaceful beginning. But the next person we meet couldn't be much more different. Come down to verse 16. As, they were, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her own as much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. It might be good. She seems to recognize that he's God. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. We go on, the demon's cast out. Uh, her owners are very irritated because there goes their cash flow. Um, and we don't know. We're not told if she becomes a Christian, if she joins the church. But um, of what we know of the church, it wouldn't be surprising if they took her in and took care for her took care of her after she's been cast out as useless. But I want us to notice a couple of things. Where Lydia is free inside and out, this girl is enslaved inside and out. She is owned. She has no freedom. And even internally, a demon owns her. Will not let her go. She has no freedom. This is a girl who knows what it is to suffer. This is a girl who's probably not easy to be around, even post-exorcism. She has suffered deeply, wounds and scars. And, and we've got to ask the question, why is Paul irritated at her shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God? It's a confusing one. Until you remember, we're in Philippi here, where we've just seen that there are no Jewish believers, and she is identifying them as preachers of a foreign god. Over in Philippians, as we, we're going to see later on, again, we won't have time to cover it in depth, um, it, Paul talks about people who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, essentially help, hoping to get him into trouble. And I don't think it's too far to see the connection here. This is someone who's trying to get them into trouble as they're beginning. Saying, hey look, look what these guys are doing. Don't let them do it quietly. They're preaching a different God. And yet, the, spirit, the demon's cast out. <sighs> Whether or not she's converted, we know this is a deeply formative experience for the church at Philippi. Immediately things are difficult. Immediately opposition comes along. And immediately there's a supernatural event marking them out, showing that there's something that people can't ignore about them. Two people so far, Lydia and the slave girl. Third person, radically different again. Um, down in 25. Uh, I'm laughing because uh, I just find it entertaining how okay Paul and Silas are with being in jail by this stage. Is that, I think this is the third major jailbreak narrative we've got in Acts. And they are just totally chill. They're in jail. They know, they're so confident that it's not a problem. Um, they're just singing. Singing hymns. Um, they're doing it all night. Suddenly there's an earthquake. The jailer realizes he's going to lose his job. He's got a family to support. All this kind of thing. He is about to do the honorable thing. Uh, take his life. Hope that's the best outcome. 
And Paul and Silas just are so aware of the realities of the situation that they refuse to escape. And they, they cry out, verse 28, Paul cried out with a loud, loud voice, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Don't worry. Do you see his love for this person who is literally imprisoning him? And the jailer has seen enough through the course of the night that his instinct is to say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's seen enough in their response to suffering and injustice that he knows that they have wisdom he does not have. They give him the wonderful news. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved, you and your household. This desperate man is turned to rejoicing. Brings his whole family when he sees. And so we've got this, this fledgling church with Lydia and the jailer and their households and maybe a few more. We're talking maybe 30 people. And what's the first thing that happens? Paul is expelled from the city. Cast out. The magistrates say, okay, we'll let you go, but go away. He doesn't have the three years to disciple them that he has in other places. He's thrown out. This church should not survive. Three stories, radically different lives, wildly different beginnings, coming together with nothing but the hope of Christ, not even Paul to disciple them. And yet we know that the end that any church is going to is complete unity in Christ. And Paul is very confident of that for these people. So they find themselves living in the middle. Living in the middle and we rejoice that God has done this. He's brought all of these different backgrounds, all this different baggage, all these different scars and wounds and privileges and characteristics into his body. Into his church. Um, Many of you, or some of you, many of you will remember the early days of the church. Some of you will remember the beginning of this church. That's a wonderful privilege to have that heritage in the church. And it's interesting to think, what, what did the beginning look like here? How has that developed into the middle, where we are now? There are so many more stories than I could possibly hear. More stories than we'll be able to tell one another. And yet we find ourselves on a journey like these Philippians from a, an unlikely beginning with an absolutely certain end, navigating the middle. Let's find them where they are in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. We're going to note a couple of structural things, then we're going to see three things to give thanks for. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's a beautiful prayer. I'd encourage you tonight to, in your rooms to pray it for one another. Pray through it for your family, for your church family. Um, beautiful prayer. I want you to notice two things structurally before we dive into these three things to give thanks for. Um, the first one is in verses 5 and 6. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that's why he's rejoicing. I'm rejoicing because of this partnership from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, the ESV, for very good reasons, translates verse 6 with uh, completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Um, but that word that's been translated there is, is exactly the same word as until in verse 5. And so we've got this parallelism that Paul's giving us. He's saying from the first day until now in verse 5, and in verse 6, um, from now to the day of Christ Jesus, until, until. I want to show you why I keep talking about the middle. It's because that's exactly where Paul locates us, in the middle, between being called and the day of Jesus, day of Christ Jesus. We're going to hear a whole lot about that in this, in this letter. So we've got to locate ourselves and locate the Philippians where we are in the whole scope of salvation history, if you like, in the middle, until, until. Um, the other thing I want you to notice just from a kind of literary point of view is just how much he uses the word all. You may have noticed that as we read it. Um, verses 1, 3, 4, 7, 7, 8, 9. It's, re- it's all over the place. And if you look at verse 1, it makes sense. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. He drives it home. All, 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 all. This is not a letter for the pastor alone. This is not a letter for those who are at the beginning alone. This is a letter for every single one of you. Every single one of you is a partaker of grace. I love that. It's a letter to a whole church. So three things to give thanks for. Um, Verses 3 to 5, give thanks to God for partnership. Um, In verses 3 and 4 he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy. That's a lot of build up. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, I want you to notice just three things about that term, partners. The first one is that is a dignifying word. It gives dignity to the people on whom it is put. And who is it put on? All. All of us. There is dignity in being called a partner. A partner in the gospel. Peter uses the word um, fellow elder when he's writing to elders it's the same instinct and yet applied to all of us that we are partners having a, having a share in this work the gospel is not the work of someone else done to us but something that we as a church all together are doing there is dignity for every member of the church however weak or strong you may feel secondly it's a challenging term if you're a partner in the gospel you've got work to do there's a job to be done. That will look different for different partners. But a partner in a legal firm doesn't just stop working. Not a partner for long if he does. 
Praise God that's not true for us. Praise God that is a lie for us to believe. That if we stopped working, we'd no longer be partners. And yet, there's a dignity and there's a purpose here. We have work to do. And then it's a term of identity, and that's going to come up throughout the book. That as Christians, we can see ourselves as these partners in the gospel. Some of the terms he uses um, are kind of fellow worker, fellow soldier, co-laborer, companion, brother, son. Constantly, this term of identity, you get to be a partner in the gospel. Whatever God drew you from, whatever you are experiencing in the middle of life, Paul very deliberately speaks this identity over every single one of us. Whatever failure, shortcoming, intentions, whatever it might be, partners in the gospel. Whatever bruises. Thank God for partnership. Verses 6 and 7, thank God for guarantees. Verse 6 is one of my favourite verses in the entire Bible. I absolutely love it. I love it for myself and I love it for everyone I get to do ministry with. Uh, Look at it with me. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's his work. He will finish it. Uh, One of my wife's favorite uh, illustrations of life in the gospel comes from this verse. Um, This is this idea of of walking up a hill with a yo-yo. You're up and down, and you're up and down, and you're up and down, but you're always going up. And it will be brought to completion. And there may be some big downs, and yet you're always going up. Even when the ups seem very little. Always going up. Because it's his work, not ours, he will finish it. He will finish it. He's called us his own. We're partakers in grace to guarantee, even when the middle is messy. Verse 7, he's not talking about the easy times right now. He's talking about his imprisonment. Both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, in that you are partakers with me of grace. Not only in the happy times, not only on the retreats and the wedding days. Partakers in grace, even when the middle's messy. Thank God for guarantees. Whatever the middle's like, he will get us through. Thirdly, thank God for the power of prayer. Verses 8 to 11. For God is my witness how I yearn for you. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This, um, this week's been a hard week in a lot of ways. Um, the last time I talked through Philippians was with a group of high school and university students in Myanmar, Burma. Um, we finished about three years ago, that study. And then we left about a year after that. Um, and since we left, uh, COVID suspended their studies. And then there was a military coup on February 1st, 2021, which has um, closed the universities. Uh, these, these boys who were looking ahead to qualifying as engineers and doctors and other things, they, they have no idea if that will ever happen. More importantly than that, they can't live in the city anymore. Um, 
College is cancelled, the city's not safe, there are bombs going off, people are getting arrested, people will get shot. It's very hard. It's very hard. And, and yet we pray. It hits differently when you're praying these kind of things for people going through that kind of situation. It doesn't have to be a war zone. When we're praying for our family members who are going through things we can't bear and we don't know how to speak into, we're not sure how to pray for. I, just, I say this because I wonder if sometimes we consider Philippians and the kind of prayer we're talking about here as perhaps lightweight in the heaviness of life. And there's something about prayer that feels like a cop-out. I just want us to notice the way that he prays, because he keeps saying rejoice. And again, this is part of what I think can make people switch off here. Rejoice, well that's great. Until the stuff of life hits. It's great until you're faced with war. Rejoice! Great until you're facing addiction and disease. Family breakup. Rejoice! It's great until politics tear friends and families apart. Rejoice! It can feel like a, an empty command. But I want you to see that what he's encouraging them to rejoice in here is a context that knows the depth of that pain. Rejoice and pray. And the things we pray for when we know that about life, we know these realities about life, the way we pray deepens. And he gives us these wonderful words to pray. Um, look at the kind of things he's praying for here. He's praying for love for knowledge, discernment, purity, blamelessness, fruit of righteousness. We should pray for healing. We should pray for material things we should, uh, to, to, kind of, to change. We should pray for, for all these good things. And yet the things that he's commanding them to pray for are things that apply even in those darkest valleys. That bring us joy even in those really difficult times because in the depths of those we see love we see growth in godliness we see fruit of righteousness it's not lightweight as we learn to pray this way we see God at work in deep and profound ways ways that speak to the transformation of the really important things in life I was, um, I was talking to one of those boys this morning um his prospects have been entirely cut off. He's desperate to get out of the country. We're trying everything we can to get him out. And of course we're praying for visas, for opportunities, for all this kind of thing. But we can't keep praying this for him too. And he prays it for us. Um, lovely fact, do you know, my former pastor, John, and Nathan, his son, who I was talking about just now, and their other sons, tonight they prayed for you. In their family devotion, on a farm, outside the city they prayed these things for you and Nathan said to me teacher I have so many testimonies of God's goodness in the hardest times to tell you I'll have to tell you next time he rejoices even as he suffers life in the middle for the Philippians and us can be very dark and yet there's purpose, there's partnership, there's identity, there's dignity, there's all these riches we've seen here. Even for a church like the Philippians, which should be a hot mess by all accounts. 
resting in God's guarantees and a whole lot of prayer. Briefly, as we finish, we've looked at the beginning and the middle of the story for the Philippian church. I want to spend just a second thinking about the end. We've mentioned it in passing. Um, We're going to see it throughout the book. Um, This joy isn't just an abstract joy. It's a joy that is focused on this end point. That that end is certain and secure. Um, The language of joy and rejoicing comes ten times throughout this book written out of a prison cell. Um, In four chapters, he's constantly talking of joy, rejoice, because he's also talking of the last day, the day of Christ. It comes up again and again, 1 verse 6, 1 verse 10, 2, 9 to 11, 2, 16, 3, 11, 3, 21. It's relentless. How do you rejoice? Be certain of the end. Remember the beginning. Live in the middle as he's he's commanded us and promised. The end is really the beginning. And there will be a whole lot of pain between now and then. But we... We're going to... We're going to open up like these flowers on these trees coming out as that end comes. We're going to see and look back and understand. I know we won't understand everything now. But as we see that that will happen, we're free to rejoice even now. We will see this profound beauty through that glory and praise. I'm looking forward to getting into this book with you. Going through it. Delving deep into a few bits. But tonight, let me just ask you one more time. Read through that prayer. Pray it for your church family. Pray for one another. And enjoy it. Rejoice. Now let's pray. Lord, you know the story of this church. You know the story of each each individual and family within this church. You know the, the things that are carried And you know the certainty with which you've called them. You know the grace that you've given them. You know the dignity you've spoken over them. You know the hope that you've given them and the love you've poured out into them. Please help us this week, Lord, to see reality as it is. To see that this life is not the end. And to live it with joy as we understand that more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.